Hey, welcome to Short Fine Legs, the South African cricket podcast recorded from two different hemispheres on the 24th of August, which is incidentally Adrian Caper's birthday. Adrian Caper, of course, the big hitting all-rounder from yesteryear, whose nephew James last played a first-class game in South Africa in March 2009, where his Western Province team were beaten by Northwest by eight wickets, thanks largely to Malusi Saboto's eight-wicket match for and who is Mulusi Saboto? Why, he's the Lions fast bowler with over 100 domestic matches in all three formats. And a man who last took the field on the 16th of February 2020, when the Lions beat the Cobras by a single wicket with two balls to spare in their 50-over match in Poch. Why is that relevant? Well, this is the last time my co-host, Nono Pongolo, bowled or hit a ball in anger. Now, Nons, I'm sorry for that tangential intro, but I really was short <laughs> on content and I thought, what the hell? Let's go down this rabbit hole. Uh, do you remember how many runs and how many wickets you contributed in that winning cause? <laughs> um, I remember the bowling on that particular wicket wasn't great. It was a really good uh, potch wicket. So I don't remember the bowling fondly at all. But um, yeah, the, the batting um, definitely um, was an important knock um, to, to take the team over the line. So I definitely remember that one. What did you make and how many wickets did you get? I took one wicket, which was um, also a bit, um, was it a Bishop's boy? I thought it was, I bowled to a Bishop's boy, sorry, at the time. So I was trying to go back to your intro there. But, you got Peter uh, Milan. I got Peter Milan, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, it wasn't him. You were quite and... One. Five overs, zero maidens, one Thanks. <laughs> Like I said, I don't remember the bowling fondly at all because uh, there was a short boundary on the leg side. I just yeah. kept on getting peppered to the shorter, the shorter boundary. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, a, it was an awesome chase against the Cobras. Always great to play the Cobras. And yeah, we got over the line on that particular day, which was awesome. You made 43 or 40 balls off, uh, and you hit four fours. You got bowled by... Big Rory Kleinfeld, clean bold, according to Crick Info. I was clean bold, and um, I should have. Um, you know, all I, all I, when, I, when I bat around the middle order, I mean, all I want to do in 50 over cricket is to get the team over the line. And I was bitterly disappointed when we're so close. Um, I got the team into a strong position to win the game, and then uh, in the last over, got out to Rory missing honestly the straightest ball. It didn't do anything. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, just clean bold, but um, I was really happy that we got over the line. I can promise you that my intros won't be as tangential. When I wrote it out, I thought <laughs> I thought it would go a lot smoother. And then as I got halfway through, I was like, okay, I just got to finish this. Got to get through it. <laughs> I was like, actually, the whole story, it did, um, I, I know it well. I played with James Caper, who was at Bishops um, with him. But um, he was a couple of years uh, above me. Right. Adrian Caper's son was in, the, was in the house with me as well. So I know the, the Capers quite well. So okay. the whole entire intro is quite awesome because I know everyone in it. <laughs> well, there you go. So what you're saying is keep the tangential intros, which is what I'm going to do. It was really good. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. Uh, otherwise, how are you? We, we, we saw a conclusion to the uh, Robert Murawa, Murawa, I beg your pardon, um, <laughs> trifecta series of, of his interviews with Tommy Tzolakele and Robert Tzolakele and Alvera Peterson. A lot to unpack, a lot to listen to. What were your sort of takeaways from that? Yeah, I think for me, I think the biggest one was definitely the Alvera Peterson part of um, that series. Mm. Um, it eventually uh, divulging some of the stuff that went, that happened in the match fixing stuff. 
you know, it, it, it's kind of, it was weird because, I mean, I was a player during that period um, for the Lions. I know some, most of the guys were from our change room. But even today, I didn't kind of know what happened in, in that period. And it was really good to hear Alviro going through the details of the things and the back and forth that he had with Gulam Bodhi and um, what, you know, um, meeting different bookies and all that stuff. And, um, yeah, it was uh, really helpful in terms of where we are in South Africa in terms of understanding that um, that, that story. But, um, you know... Um, it's it's up to I think it's up to the minister now and Cricket South Africa to if they feel that it's important to open up that uh, investigation. Um, it, it, it is something that um, we need to look into. There's also another part of it um, with Saka. I think they're probably going to be interviewing Saka to respond to some of the allegations that was laid um, by some of the players, including Alvira Peterson. So it's I think. It, was important in um, giving us some light in terms of all the things that happened behind the scene. I think, I think that's been the issue with that investigation is that most of it was definitely kept, um, you know, um, at Cricket South Africa and not a lot of people kind of knew what was happening, including the journalists, it seems. So I think it's important that um, we can reopen that, see really what happened so that it could actually be put to bed. I think it, um, it is still raising a lot of questions, which um, I think the game wants to move away from. We saw a nice exchange with Alvira Peterson and Ompilo Romela Twitter. Ompilo, obviously, the uh, president of Saka. Saka, for much of its history, really, have been the white knights, the the champions of the players. Have they lost a bit of credibility? I mean, has has Saka's reputation been been tarnished at all by, by recent events? I think it would be unfair of us to say Saka's uh, reputation has been tarnished because we've only heard one side, really, from the players that have been involved in the match-fixing scandal. And, of course, there were parts of those conversations that, um, for example, Alvira Peterson was looked after um, uh, uh, to pay his lawyers. And uh, Lonabo Totobe, who had a private... um, they, They hired their own lawyers, Alvira Peterson and Lonovo Totoba um, hired their own lawyers where other players were provided lawyers. Yeah. And there was even um, separation there where Alvira got, um, his lawyers got pay, uh, paid by Saka and Lonovo Totobe heard for the first time with Alvira Peterson talking that, you know, his lawyers um, weren't looked after. So that part that definitely raised some questions in terms of Saka needs to come in and respond to to that because it's, I mean, as they are the, the body that um, obviously um, represent all the players, it's important that they represent all players fairly. Um, and um, I, I saw that Mumpila um, Ramela and I think the CEO will be coming to Robert Marawa and, and talking on some of those questions that were raised um, during the show. So I think that will be an important part um, to obviously hear from their point of view. And again, I think... They've they've been clear with the, even through their statement that um, you know they've they've always tried to support the players as best as they can. With also and they had a difficult position in terms of their players being um, one being accused of match fixing and also how they handled that situation in terms of giving their players enough support but not being involved in that process. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that conversation and um, hear from from their side. That's right. As you say, kind of the story that keeps unraveling. And as, as you start pulling the thread, you think you're going to get to 
the end of it, there's just more thread yet to unravel. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to pick at the bones at it right now, but we'll certainly keep doing that as the show progresses. But, you know, from one important cause to another, because as, as our next guest shows, the, the fight for racial transformation is, is not the only crusade that, that, it, that is worth waging at the minute. It's also a, a question of gender equality. And uh, Sune Luce, who is a stalwart for the, for the women's proteas, really shed some insight on what it's like inside the camp for a team that represents the country with a plum, almost getting over the line in the World Cup semi-final against the juggernauts of Australia. I don't think we can really overstate what a gulf there is between Australia and England and the rest of the world in terms of women's cricket. The, the men's game, one of five or six teams really could, could win the World Cup in, in the women's game. If England or Australia don't win it, it's, it's considered an upset now that West Indies have seemingly fallen off a cliff. So the fact that South African women got so close really shows what quality there is in the side. But that really isn't reflected in the support they're given at Cricket South Africa, is it? I mean, I know, I know momentum in Cricket South Africa is a lot for the women's game, but really they're not doing enough, are they? Yeah, I certainly think so. I think um, we definitely um, we can do better in terms of creating better structures for the pipeline for women's game. Uh, there's definitely uh, needs. Um, we can talk about contraction, uh, contracts rather in um, provincial setup. But I mean, what they've produced with what they have, I mean, is definitely needs to be celebrated. Um, that um, the women's game in South Africa is only it's only a couple of years um, only turning profession in terms of getting contracts being paid for what they do. So they've achieved a lot in the short uh, space of time. And um, it shows you the talent that we have in the country and um, the experiences that they've gained in a short space of time to be where they are. So um, from that point of view, I, I think there's definitely a, a lot of positives, but um, we do need to do more for them and, um, and grow this game even, even more for everyone. Right. Because, who knows, more infrastructure, more resource put in the game, we could get another player like Sune Luce, who is a superstar and was very generous with the time. Here's our chat with her. Our guest today has represented South Africa in 79 ODIs and 74 T20s, taking 144 wickets at less than 20 runs apiece. She's no slouch with the bat, though, and has 12 half centuries. She's the only player with two or more six-wicket hauls in ODI cricket and has another five fifers to go along with that. She's a leg-spinning all-rounder, which is essentially an anomaly in South African cricket. And it's our great pleasure to welcome to the show Sune Luce. Sune, how's it going? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, no, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, how's training been? I mean, obviously the disappointment of not coming over to the UK for the England tour, but uh, I'm imagining you are in uh, pretty good shape. Yeah, no, it's been pretty good. Um, we started with cricket training recently with our respective provinces, um, you know, getting time in nets and just starting again with the basics and kind of picking up where we left off early in the year. It's pretty good to be back. Um, it was a nice break to have, I must say, but I think only during lockdown or level five and then level four started and got a bit annoying, um, not having to play or, you know, not getting to play some cricket, but um, very nice to be back. Um, yeah, hopefully they don't put us in another lockdown stage. Um, hopefully we can, you know, just go forwards from here. So it'd be, it'd be easy to start with the things that have gone right for you, but... Um when we were chatting to Nons in a couple of podcasts ago, I asked him 
what he struggled with the most. And I, I think he's, he was over-egging it, but he said that he kept getting bowls leaving outside the off-stump nines. I'm sorry to, to throw you under the bus <laughs> there, mate. But uh, Sunay, what is the thing that you've sort of struggled with? What was the thing that kind of didn't quite click so naturally? Um, I think mainly timing of the ball. I was, in a lot of instances, I was um, pretty early on the ball the whole time, not really finding, you know, that, that grew from stepping as the ball bounces and kind of everything just having nice momentum. Um, I was always either a bit early or a bit late, you know, never having that natural instinct of stepping when the ball lands and having that natural swing. So I guess it took a couple of sessions to kind of get that going again with your reflexes as well. Um, but I mean, we in a week, I don't know, we've been training for five, six weeks. So it's getting better now. I mean, I, I can't relate to that. I've been training for five, six weeks and I still can't time the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's play a different story though. Um, I'm still not getting that right and it's been 24 years. So <laughs> we're not even going to touch on that. <laughs> well, no, we're we absolutely going to touch on that. Um... <laughs> now, Sude, I mean, um, as you said, I think it's actually an important part talking about um, your, when you're coming back because I also found that the toughest, just getting back and getting straight to it, like you yeah. said, your, your, your timing. But as, as someone who's an all-rounder and um, you obviously got a good track record as well with the ball, how have you found that balance of obviously keeping your performances as someone who bats up the order uh, for the country and you're quite an integral part of the team and also knowing that you have to obviously do your role as well with the ball, especially in the women's game that we've seen that um, being a spinner actually is quite a significant role and especially in those middle overs. Yeah, no, I guess just taking responsibility of the two different roles at two different times. Um, I guess when you need to go and bat, there's, there's nothing in my mind thinking about bowling or if we're batting first, thinking about our second innings where I have to go and bowl. Um, so I guess it's kind of just separating the two, you know, the two stuff. And really when you're bowling or when you're batting, kind of be in that moment and just focusing on the one thing. Let's talk about your, your leg spin for a while. Because like I said in the intro, it's, you know, anyone bowling wrist spin, in my mind, must have some sort of screw loose or, or their wiring crossed, especially in South Africa. I mean, why anyone would want to do it? It's got to be the toughest gig in the game. How exactly did, did, you, did you start? I mean, did you just pick up the ball and naturally start turning your wrist over? Did you see someone do it and you thought, hang on, that's something I want to do? I mean, how did you get into it? You know, I actually didn't bowl. I was a medium pace bowler when I was quite young, but I didn't like bowling. I was more into keeping and batting um, in my primary school years. And then I went on a, a cricket camp um, and Jock Rudolph was at the camp and he was doing coaching sessions with all the schools. Um, and I don't know where he saw something or what he saw in me. He just said, you need to bowl leg spin. Um, and at that camp, he took me and he gave me a few pointers and he kind of just sent me home um, and it kind of just came naturally from there. I'd never really had a coach after Jock Rudolph. I had people kind of giving advice here and there, but I never really had, you know, a spin coach that's been helping me throughout my career. It's always just, you know, something that came natural to me. So, yeah, nothing really. I didn't decide on leg spin. I guess when I tried it, it worked. Um, and I guess that was something that I knew, you know, sets me apart from somebody else um, in the country. And like you said, there's no many or there's no, uh, or not a lot of leg spinners, especially in South Africa. So I knew that was something that's, that's going to give me a good career. Mm. 
there's, there's been guys like Harry Shapiro, who have obviously played a, um, a huge role in many younger um, boys in terms of helping them with leg spin. And um, I know we've got... Uh, do you guys use consultants at all to obviously aid um, likes of yourself uh, in terms of um, growing your, your spin? Because it is quite important. I mean, you, you do have two already in your side, which does separate you from the rest of the other nations. Is there something that you, your coaches have looked into, maybe finding some consultants? Uh, it's kind of something I've been fighting for at the moment because we tend to get fast bowling consultants and batting mm -hmm. consultants and fielding consultants. But there was never, you know, someone that especially came to a camp just to work with spinners. Um, so that's still something I'm fighting for because I think it's a very crucial part um, you know, of our team, like you said, we have two leg spinners, we have a left arm orthodox spinner, we have a few off spinners as well. So, you know, we're growing in the spin department and we need help. You know, um, it's not something, it's, I think it's a very technical, a technical aspect of, of the game. Um, so I think you need someone that really help, or you need someone that helps you with that. You can't just kind of figure it out for yourself, if you know what I mean. So it's something I've been fighting for, but um, I think, a lot of us, you know, we take the responsibility, you know, onto ourselves. I've went to see, um, oh, what's his name now? What's her last name in Cape Town? Paul Adams. Paul Adams. Yes, there we go. I've, I've went to see him for a week yeah. and trained with him. Um, I've went to see Nicky Boyer. I've, mm. I've worked with him as well. And I don't know if you know Maurice Armstrong. Um, mm. I've worked with him quite a lot. He's, he, he, I think he... He helped with the um, men's academy side at a stage. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been kind of getting my own consultants here and there where I can. Um, but like I said, it's still something I'm fighting for in our team. I think it's important to have someone at every camp. Like we have the bowling coaches or the fast bowling coaches and the batting coaches. We need someone there for spin as well. So now, do you find that yourself, or is CSA paying for you to go around the country and meet these consultants? Yes, they've been quite helpful in that okay. regard um, because the coach know there's no spin consultants in on the camps. Um, he he only asks or always asks me, you know, what do you need um, to get better at your art? Um, and then he would give me some some names, and you know, I would go and see who who I'm more comfortable working with. Um, but they will always cover the cost and you know arrange everything. So that's been really good from their side. Okay. I've actually always, um, this is probably my, I'm just going to rant a little bit. Just give me that, um, allow me that little bit of, of time. It's this um, protest having a consultant, um, a spinning consultant that only looks after, for example, a Keshav Maharaj, right? There's this one guy that he looks after. Yes. And I've always kind of like, I've never understood why a, a, a spinning consultant doesn't spend more time, for example, with a Bjorn Fortein, for example, that is next in line, for example, in a, in a T20 game. You could also do the same by going to the, to the women's camp and, and actually spending time with all the spinners there because it just feels that this person, I mean, how, how big of a role looking after after Keshav Maharaj, when you could be actually utilizing this person to improve the entire system. So there's always been a question mark for me in terms of how we're using these consultants. And I think there's definitely a room here where you could say, I mean, right now they're not doing anything, um, the pro tiers. 
um, go look after a couple of the spinners down there. So I think there's definitely some improvement from the top, especially with someone like Graham, to, to look into. I, I, it, it baffles me that um, um, a team that goes to the World Cup and comes so close and obviously qualifying for that final still has to tap into their own private you know, um, coaches when um, we should be doing better. So it's just a point that I've always had. I'm sorry that I'm, I'm putting it out there, but I feel like there's definitely room of, of tapping into that um, and, and actually improving the whole system instead of just focusing on the men's game. Yeah, I think definitely there is room for that. And that honestly, I've never really thought about it like that. And I never knew they had a spin consultant. So this is news to me. So I'm definitely going to ask at this camp, you know, if he's in the area, can you just join our bubble for the week? Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that's definitely I'll raise with them this weekend. Um, I'll just ask, you know, just throw it out there. Um, if the Britiers aren't doing anything at the moment, yeah. if he's available, if he's in Joburg, um, why don't you just come, even if it's just for a session or two, you know, just spend some time with us. Um, like spinners can never bowl enough balls. So yes. there's no, I don't think there's, you know, you can't just bowl 10 overs for the day, then you're done. So you can really spend time with us. Even if you do two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, just really, you know, doing some stationary work, just talking about his experiences um, and stuff like that. So, yeah, valid point. Um, I'll definitely chat to the management this week and, and see what we can arrange, hopefully. So, now if you, if you do so, would you mind just giving the podcast a plug and just kind of turn that <laughs> around to the, making sure that, that, that the right people are listening? Um, sure. <laughs> let's talk about England now. So, I mean, you guys were, were basically bags were packed. You were, you were about to come and then... You know, we're not blaming anyone. This is this is a, a, a sound government decision for the for the health and safety of people. But it, it must have been so disappointing being so close. What is the the mood in the camp when you got the news that 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 the tour was going to be scrapped? Yeah, no. Obviously, all of us were so disappointed. Like you said, I literally took out my bag and I was ready to start packing and start getting my things, you know, together. Um, and it was also very short short notice. I felt as well. Um, so like you said, we're not blaming anyone. I guess it's for the safety of all the players and all the people involved. Um, I just think everybody was so hungry for, for a bit of cricket. And I think everybody got their hopes up seeing Pakistan, seeing West Indies, everybody, um, that can go to England. Um, I never really had doubts that we couldn't go to England. Um, but John, fortunately, I guess it just wasn't meant to be. The frustration doubled or exacerbated by the fact that South African men are going to the IPL to play cricket. I mean, one, I, I, I kind of hate talking about the inequalities between the men and the women whenever I talk to a, 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 a female player because that, that, I hate that that is the overarching theme and I'm sure you're tired of that narrative yourself. But it kind of, the fact that those two events came in the same week, it just kind of seems to tumble into this narrative of this continued inequality. Did that... Did that enhance your frustrations? I mean, did you look at that and think of, yes, he has another kind of, you know, scar on our game? Yeah, I don't think so. I think, you know, because the reasoning was all behind the teams can't travel. Um, but then for the IPL, you know, individuals can travel. And some of, the, some of our girls are going end of September. Um, they're going to the Big Bash as well. So I guess if that tournament was a bit earlier, they could have gone now as well because I think the individuals can go, just not a team at the moment. Um, so I didn't really look at it as a you know inequality thing. Um, it was kind of just unfortunate that it was a team thing that I still don't understand why 
individuals can go, but a team can't. Well, that's the thing, right? Um, yes. Yeah, it's just a lot of individuals that go together. Um, but yeah. yeah, I guess we'll never really understand, you know, what the government, you know, what they're thinking and uh, all the stuff that's happening. So, yeah. I mean, for me also, I mean, I'm sorry to be harping on it a little bit longer than maybe we should, but it's an outgoing, you know, you're going out of the country and you're going to, yeah. I mean, what, what we've seen has been a really um, good showing from from England in terms of uh, putting this tour together and the safety of the players being, definitely being the best out there. I mean, it was kind of disappointing for me when it's supposed to be an outgoing tour. It's not coming, you guys coming back into the country. Yeah. I mean... Did you guys actually talk about it amongst yourselves or was it just as you took it as it is? I mean, it was, it was one of those things and you accepted it pretty quickly? No, we definitely talked about it. It, it also doesn't make sense if, you know, if the country is at high risk. Obviously, going out of the country would be safer in a way. You know, that just makes sense. But like I said, we'll never really know the full understanding or the full reasoning behind, you know, the government saying no. Um, but it is obviously very frustrating for us not being able to go. Um, and like I said, seeing all the, other, all the other teams in England at the moment, Australia flew yesterday, um, and they're also pretty, you know, under hard lockdown as well. So, yeah, it's very frustrating at the moment for us. Um, and obviously not knowing what lies ahead um, is also not a great prospect. But, you know, hopefully um, the country opens up soon um, and we can start having some international games. Yeah. Let's, let's shift a little bit. Let's go back to the beginning. You were 17 when national contracts came into effect uh, when, when women in South Africa could become professional cricketers. I mean, do you remember that moment? Um, do, do you remember kind of a stage where you thought, hang on, this could actually be a, a full-time job for me. I, I don't have to do whatever it is. Cricket, I can get paid to play cricket at a, at a fairly decent level. Yeah, I remember... You know, back in the day, the contracts were still so little money. You couldn't really um, live off it. But I think for cricket or women's sport in South Africa, it was a good stepping stone just to see that Cricket South Africa and the sponsors at the, sponsors at the time were putting their faith in us, you know, saying, listen, we're giving you contracts, um, semi-professional, I guess, at the time. Um, but I, I think since where we started and where we are now, um, Cricket South Africa and Momentum as well. You know, they've shown so much faith in us. You know, they've doubled the salaries or even tripled the salaries. Um, obviously not where we wanted to be yet, but I think it's a, you know, it's something that will grow over time as we win matches, as we win, win tournaments and stuff. But, you know, I think for women's cricket in South Africa, it was such a huge moment because I think we were the, the first um, women's sport in South Africa to get paid for what we do. Um, so I think in that regard, it was a really good thing for um, for cricket and for us. Do you remember that moment personally? I mean, do you did you kind of like wake up and, and, and read the newspapers and think, "Whoa, this is uh, this is it, mom and dad. I'm 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 not doing whatever that plan A was. This this is my plan now." No, I don't. Th I don't think it was always going to be study after you know after school and see where the cricket takes me. Um, I guess at the moment in time, it was just extra pocket money. Right. Um, to go out to movies and stuff like that. So I didn't really think about the future at that time. Okay. And, and heroes growing up, um, you're, 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 did you get to share moments with them? I mean, was, when was the time that you kind of looked around and were like, I, I've, I've arrived because the people that I've been watching, the, the, the people that have been forging ahead of me and kind of been creating the path for me, 
are now my teammates, are now tossing the ball and asking me to take wickets for them. What was that moment like when you kind of transcended into that upper echelon, as it were? I remember because we were so young and because the cricket weren't as good in South Africa or weren't as where the standards are, you know, in Australia or England. Um, I just remember playing with Mignon Dupria and Danae van They were just my friends and they were just played for the Proteus. But at that moment in time, I don't think I fully realized what that meant. Um, yes, they're playing for the country, but, you know, it's only going to be a matter of time till I kind of get there because there's only so... Um, so many pool, so many players in our country. So whoever you know got the most runs kind of got into the team. Um, so I didn't really. It's gonna say it's gonna sound bad, but I didn't really look up to Mignon and all those girls because I was still playing with them in provincial. Mm-hmm. They were just my mates that I played with. Um, but I do remember a time I was about eight or nine years old, and the the women's World Cup was the final was held on Supersport Park. Um, and I was a ball girl at that time. And I remember seeing Lisa Stalaker, um and all those Australian girls. I, I'm not sure who they played against, but I just remember it was Australia. And when I first played Australia in my national colours, um, she was commentating. And it was just such a huge thing for me to actually see her again after all that time. Um, and now she's kind of just judging on how I play, um, you know, doing the commentating and everything. And I remember that moment was pretty cool. Because now I'm here at the big stage and she's commentating on our games. And a few years back, she was playing and that was so cool for me. Because mm. you, you, you guys are kind of, I, I don't know, maybe the first generation of a, a woman starting her international career now for the Proteas will live her entire career sort of as an icon. Like you say, Mignon and, and Donne, they perhaps started their, their careers in, in relative uh, anonymity you yourself perhaps but but someone making their debut this year will go through her entire career as a with this status of being a south african cricketer i mean do you kind of consider yourself at, at the sort of a, at, a, at a crossroads sort of a, at a transitional period of, of south african cricket and does that carry a sense of responsibility now that you aren't just someone who's plugging away oh you just happen to play cricket for south africa you are now a protea with a capital p does that carry extra responsibility Yes, definitely. I think, you know, when I started out, it wasn't as big. But I think, you know, when I hit 21, was that about three years ago, cricket really started, um, you know, growing in South Africa and growing internationally as well. Um, And I think that's when we also started winning games and really competing all around the world. Um, And I think since then, you know, we get more spectators, we get more media coverage. Um, And I think since you know, the media coverage and all those things came on board and, you know, the televised games, people start recognizing you and people start seeing that, okay, well, they are doing good. They are representing our country. They're not just playing for fun. It's becoming a career. And I think since that started, you know, we get more, um, we go see schools with girls that play cricket and stuff like that. And they start seeing, you know, wow, I can do this someday. And I think once they start doing that, um, they definitely start seeing you as a role model because that's the first thing or that's the first person they see um, in that in that role that they want to, you know, want to become one day. So it's definitely, um, I think us personally as a team, we, we have a thing that we, we want to create a legacy for the, for the girls that's starting kind of now being 16, 17, 
yes, we might we might not now, you know, um, get all the rewards, you know, from the big salaries and all that kind of stuff, because that might only happen five, six years from now. But for us, it's very important to leave that legacy for them. So when they come in, you know, all that plat- platforms are there for them to kind of just come in and do that professionally and everything is, you know, well set for them. So I think as a team, we really know the responsibility we have in this country for women's sports. I think we're one of the leading, you know, um, teams in the country with women's sports. So, you know, we really understand the responsibility that we have to leave a legacy and to leave, you know, the right pathways for the girls to come. Christina, where are we now when it comes to the women's game in South Africa? I mean, we've seen your performances on the field have definitely... um, got more eyes. I mean, you guys have more eyes now because we've seen how good you are. And yes, you can compete with your Indias and your Australias and your your England. So obviously the top nations. But where are we currently in South Africa when it comes to the the women's game? I know national contracts have played a a huge role in terms of making the, uh, at least fast tracking the, the women's game. But in terms of, I mean, there's such a huge drop from where you guys are in terms of, in terms of contracts and then you go to the provincial level where there are no contracts and in terms of now you want to obviously keep that um, pool of players uh, as competitive as possible you also want the depth to continue to to grow and obviously the the standard of cricket to be as high as possible do you know if there's anything in in the pipeline when it comes to at least having the provincial setup being similar to 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 the boys as well i mean Guys are being paid um, every month to to play the game provincially. Is there something in the in the pipeline for the women's game as well to to continue growing the women's game? You know, it's a very touchy subject for me. <laughs> um, but no, I don't think we we are where we need to be at all at the moment. I know you know CSH is really trying their best, um, but if we just go back there's no primary school girls cricket there's no high school girls cricket the the clubs aren't functioning as they should um and for us it's very dis- or very concerning because if we retire we have a we have a pool group of about 28 to 30 32 a lot of girls are you know are in that pool group or age group at the moment if they retire in a year or two who's going to come in their place because there's literally no one coming in from primary school, high school. So we want to, we want to improve our provincial, you know, cricket, but there's literally no players coming through because schools aren't prioritizing girls cricket. Um, I've heard about a few cases where the girls want to play in the boys team because they are good enough, but then the principal says, no, they can't. So where are they supposed to find the opportunities or to become better players if they're not given opportunities, if you know what I mean? So um, I think one thing I need to start, I need to be better at is also pushing, you know, the right people and asking these questions. What are you guys doing about girls cricket in primary schools and high schools? Um, Because I know when I go back to provincial training, the the standard of cricket is not great. I have to train with the boys or with a, a boys club team um, just to get international standard or close to international standard. So I think it's a very concerning thing at the moment. Um, 
we at I'm at Northern, so we started getting match fees. And if you get a hundred, or if you get a fifty, or something like that. But I'm talking about hundred rand if you get a fifty, which is I don't even think it will cover your petrol, um, yeah. to be honest. So I think you know I don't know how how it's going to change and what's it what's going to need for it to change. But I feel like if Cricket South Africa is really um, concerned about women's cricket in general, they need to start focusing on girls cricket from early stages on. You know, girls play mini cricket and that's kind of where they stop because there's no cricket in primary school or high school. So I think it's a very concerning thing for myself because I still want to play 10 years of cricket, but am I still going to be able to play 10 years of cricket if there's no players available to play, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, I don't know how we're going to fix it. Um, Because there's definitely, you know, there's people that want to play. Girls want to play cricket. They just don't have the facilities or the opportunities to play. You're all part of SACA, just like um, we are part of SACA. And there's also, I mean, I know that um, Smith has only been in a job now for for about six months. Is that something maybe as as goals you want to maybe organize that meeting? I know it's early on in his um, yeah his job is, and and actually put on your concerns in terms of the structure. I mean, we 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 talk about from I mean, as a player of color in South Africa, how transformation has been important and having those targets to to have players on the field and what role it's played in growing the game for players of color and i mean i think it's for me it's it's almost it's definitely the same thing to to i mean uh, when i think of women's sport i mean if you don't have it as um as something that is intentional i mean we've seen that england are very intentional about their women's game australia is very intentional about their um about their game as well so, I mean, it's something that we need. It has to be in the forefront of everything that we do. And, and it, it has to be a priority. So I feel like, is it, is it something that maybe a couple of you leaders of the group where you could maybe sit down with the director of cricket and, and lay down your concerns? Because I think the momentum is definitely, no excuse the pun with your sponsor and everything <laughs> here, but um, the momentum is definitely with you in terms of the performances that you've shown in the past couple of years and the direction that the women's game is going towards. Is it something that I think maybe a couple of the leaders to, to, to have this meeting with the director of cricket and say, these are our concerns? Um, yeah, I think it's definitely worth chatting to Graham um, about this. And I also think like, I think it needs to become a norm. Um, if, if you don't have, I just think if you don't have a girls team in your school, then your school can't compete in leagues. I feel that's kind of what needs to happen at the moment to force schools you know, to make an effort into recruiting the girls um, and giving them the opportunities to play. But I think it's definitely something that I'll take up with Graham. I don't know about all the other provinces, but I know Northerns are making an effort um, into getting girls into the teams. But I just don't think the facilities given or the, you know, the attention and, and love to the facilities that's given to the men's sides, even the third or fourth teams of men, um, we get as women. Um, I haven't played a club match in forever, um, but I know when I did play, we used to play at Tux, but on the UL Plus field, that's the last one. Right. Um, so I just, small things like that to give them the same opportunities, to give them the same facilities as well. Um, and in that specific game, we were two, three players short, and you would kind of just say, well, we're going to have a game, so we're just going to play with two, three players short. 
Mm. Um, so there's always going to be challenges, you know, around that. But I think, yeah, definitely change needs to happen when it comes to that. Well, let's talk about the WBBL, the, the Women's Big Bash League in Australia. I chatted to Shabnam Ishmael a, a couple of weeks ago, maybe months ago now. And she said how, how pleasantly surprised she was that on posters, there'd be a picture of her and a picture of Chris Morris. And although she didn't get the same salary that Chris got, and although she didn't necessarily attract the same crowd that Chris got, in terms of the marketing that each team gave, they definitely platformed the men and women together. And we saw the same with 100. Men and women might not get paid the same amount, and, then, and in 100, the women weren't even playing in the same grounds as the men. But at the draft, at the launch, at, at any sort of corporate event, men and women were, were, were both championing this tournament. It would seem like such a simple thing if, if there was an Mzanzi Super League for women, if there was perhaps at corporate events or marketing events that men and women are treated equally. I mean, does this not seem like the lowest hanging fruit that, that we could be addressing in Cricket South Africa? And how frustrating was that for you to have to go to Australia and for once maybe treat it as an equal in these terms? Yeah, no, I mean, Australia is, is probably in a league of their own um, when it comes to marketing um, and backing women's cricket. Um, I know when I was playing in the BBL, just the facilities that you got to train at and the professionalism that, you know, came with that was, I never experienced something like that in my life. And it was so good to see. But I definitely think, you know, small stuff like the marketing stuff is something in Cricket South Africa's control. Yes, we might not bring as much or as many crowds as the guys do, understandably, because A.B. de Villiers and all those guys, you are going to get more people wanting to see him than us. And we get that. But like you said, if there's a poster or just for an example, when we release new kit, they always just show, um, no offense to all the guys, I know it's not them, but they always just show the guys in the kit where we also do photo shoots mm. with the new kit. So I just think if in a new balance store where the kits are being uh, marketed, just put a poster of us and, and a poster of the guys. And with that, you attract, you know, more women will buy the, even if it's just to sell the product, more women will buy the shirts as well. when they see yeah. that we're wearing it as well, if that makes sense. So, um, so I think small stuff like that can change, but I think they've definitely done a good job thus far in trying to implement you know um equality across cricket south africa but i still think it can it can get better but i know they've put a lot of effort into trying and and do everything as equal as they can and you say that australia are in a league of their own in terms of how they back women's cricket and and it shows on the field right the, the most the most successful team and it's and you can almost trace a direct correlation between the amount of marketing that each country puts in and how successful the, the team is on the field. Let's talk about playing in Australia. I mean, you guys, barring rain, arguably, would have probably gotten over the line against Australia. I mean, before the, before the tournament, before the World Cup, just before lockdown, did you guys have aspirations of, of winning the thing? I mean, was there, was there talk of winning or was it just a case of we're going to go there and compete? We know we've got a good squad. We know we've got a hell of a bowling unit and, you know, several world-class batters. Or, or did you guys think, no, no, the, actually the target is to win this whole thing? No, we definitely, our goal for the tournament was to win it. We know we've came super close um, with with teams like Australia and England. We really, we never really could get over the line with the big teams. I think in terms of maybe big match temperaments or kind of, you know, stuff like that playing a role. Um, but I think going into that tournament, we had a, a tournament in New Zealand 
um, the month before yes. where we smashed them in the ODIs, you know, whitewash. We came into the T20s and it was just horrible. It was like we were two different teams coming from the ODIs to the T20s. Right. And I remember our captain saying at the last game, she was like, well, that wasn't great, but at least we got that out of our system. So when we get to the World mm. Cup, we can start playing proper cricket. Um, and I think that's exactly what happened. We got all that nerves, you know, all the, um, I don't know, just the jitters and everything out of the way. We sorted our game plans. So when we landed in Australia, we knew exactly what we we're going to face. We knew exactly where we wanted to go. Um, so yeah, when that first game against England came, there was literally no, no doubt in our minds that we can win them because we know that can be in, inconsistent as well. And I think if you get on top of a big team like England or Australia, they're not used to a, a smaller team, if I can say it like that, mm-hmm. um, getting on top of them. So they get, you know, they get, um, they don't know what to do. You know, they kind of go, well, nobody's really challenged us before. So what do we do now? So we knew if we could do that, um, then we're halfway through. Um, and I think in the semi-final, I don't, I'm not really sure how Douglas Lewis works, but no, that just seems, no one does. That just seems <laughs> super unfair going from yeah. a run rate of six and over to eight or nines. I'm not sure how that works, but mm. uh, I guess it just wasn't meant to be. Rain and semi-finals and World Cups, at least on that level, the men and women are equals when it comes to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nons, I've got a question for you as, as, a, as a star for the Josie Stars. How receptive would the men's game be if, if it was proposed that there would also be a women's in Zanzi Super League? Perhaps each game would have a curtain raiser or, or at functions they'd be treated as equals. Do you, do you think the, the, the players themselves would be welcoming of that? Um, Dan, I think you don't have to sell this to me. I think you would know by now that I'm a huge fan of the idea. I mean, I was even disappointed that in the Solidarity Cup, there wasn't a, the, a women's um, game as well in Conca or whatever, um, maybe before or after the, the men's, um, you know, the 3TC as well. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like um, there's been, there are plenty of opportunities for us to, to, to grow the women's game. And um, I, I think it, it would be a great initiative and will bring in a different audience as well, because now you have... Um, we know that South Africa, it's not, it's not cheap to go to a cricket game and, uh, and watch a, three, a, a T20 with your family, maybe or four, whatever. And now the fact that you're having two games and you're getting a little bit more for, for, the, for the value of your, of your money um, coming into that game. So I think from a player's point of view, I would definitely support that. I think it would be a great initiative. And I think, again, continuing to build the momentum towards the women's game and, 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 and promoting them because that's what... I mean, we had, I think, some of the games, um, millions of people watching. I think the record was 1.2 million people watching the game. Can you imagine what it will do for the women's game as well if they're playing alongside the guys and, um, and um, what it will do for them as well to also experience those crowds at their home? Because I think that's also what's strange is that they go away from home and they play in front of the in, um, Indian crowds, Australian crowds and all that stuff, never being used to playing in front of those crowds. That's different pressures as well. So if you, if you can give them that platform to also get used to um, playing in front of their own people, in front of those crowds, it will definitely grow their, their game. So um, I think it, there's definitely... Plenty of opportunities for us as South Africans to promote women's game. And I think, again, it starts at the top, being, being intentional about everything that we do and every opportunity, looking for opportunities to, to grow the women's game. You, you say that it starts at the top, and, and maybe the, this is a question for both of you, I guess, because 
we hear that racism, it, it's not a problem that black people need to solve. It's a problem that white people need to solve. White people need to be the leaders in fighting racism. And, and it's almost the same as when it comes to sexism. And let's call, let's call this imbalance what it is. It, it, it is almost systemic sexism. Um, it's men that need to solve it. So, so uh, Non's question to you is, should male cricketers perhaps be the most vocal supporters of, of, of in, in this campaign? And Sunay, what, what difference would it make as far as you see it if guys like Nons or Kahisa Rabada or Tembo Vuma were actually leading the campaign to, to incorporate um, men more? Sunay, let's start with you. What, what, what would that do to, to amplify your voice if, if the proteas were, were the ones, the male proteas were the ones calling for this? Yeah, I think that would just show unity um with the two teams i know always when the guys go out to you know to go out to world cups um we need to we need to make a short video of the whole team standing together saying you know what ab whoever the captain is Faf, good luck for the tournament we are behind you we back you all the way but never once have we gotten mm-hmm. and i don't know where this comes from if it comes from the media person just have an idea oh maybe let's just send them a message or whatever um but we, I know we get once or twice, we get personal messages from the guys saying, listen, that was an awesome match. Keep going. You guys are making us proud. But just imagine if they can kind of just put a mini campaign together, mm. putting that on their platforms with million followers or however they have, um, that would just raise awareness for us as well. At the end of the day, I think we need to market ourselves when it comes down to it. We need to market the men. They need to market us. And I think that's, that's going to be a good way to do it. For me, I think you, um, if I had to use the rugby example, um, how the, uh, everyone got on board in terms of supporting the, the Springboks yeah. when it comes to the rugby. And it shows, I mean, it can be done. She's definitely right in saying, I mean, it has to be, you know, um, what the protest men are doing and what they're doing for the pro- they should also reciprocate um, that support. And we all, I mean, even at franchise level, we all need to show our support. I mean, we were watching the games in, in our own corners very happy for them doing well but it's it's not a united uh, support for for the women's game so i think from that point of view we definitely can do better i mean and then i want to talk about what a proteus player could do for the game we look at how the black lives matter movement because of one player lungi uh, sorry um you know standing up and saying this is what he you know he's he supports and all of a sudden a massive, um, you know, um, support came from all corners of, of South Africa. And that's what a pro-tier player can do in terms of, um, you know, um, showing the awareness and also getting people to actually support. And um, I, I would definitely be um, that person who say uh, she is correct and um, I, we have to do more. I think there's so much we can do. And, um, and again, it's such an easy support because, I mean, as South Africans, we love a winning side and they've yeah. definitely got the results on their side as well. So there's no excuse for us not to do more. Quite right. Just on that Black Lives Matter, uh, Sunay, I was asking Lucy, your media manager, about what the buzz has been. And, and she stared me straight in a sense. She said, look, look obviously, it's, it's, it's an important issue to the whole team, but we are really sort of championing for women's rights and, and, and campaigning against gender-based violence. And, you know, as much as we want to support Black Lives Matter, it's important that people realize what this woman's team represents. I mean, do you feel like you guys are, are more than just cricketers, that, that you are athletes, activists in, in the quest for gender equality in a country that is 
someone has described it as, as a civil war on, on women, the, the amount of gender-based violence that happens in the country. I mean, do you see yourselves as athletes, activists, either consciously or by proxy of representing the country? Yeah, I think, first of all, I think we, we kind of tend to stay out of the political side of the things as we only, you know, we just want to play cricket and we leave the politics for the politicians and, you know, all those people. But I know we, we were supposed to host Australia in March after the World Cup um, and a gender-based violence um, game was supposed to be held. We were all supposed to be in black supporting gender-based violence, not supporting it, but you know what I mean, yes, um, raising awareness for gender-based violence. Right. And I think through that, that would have been a great thing just because it was going to be televised. It was going to be against Australia. So you knew all Australian people were going to watch the game. Um, and they were also, you know, they were super in it. They were also coming in black, being ready for the game. Um, it was unfortunate that they obviously couldn't come because of COVID. But I think through the game, um, we can we can make our voices heard, if that makes sense. So by us wearing those black outfits and, you know, kind of just taking a moment um, as the the BLM movement is doing by taking a knee. We could have just done that for the gender-based violence. Um, so hopefully in our next tournament that we have, we can just take that day and just move it, you know, to our next tournament and show our support for that. Um, but like I said, me, I personally tend to stay out of the political side of the things. Um, but yeah, we're definitely more for gender-based violence, I think, because it relates to us and I think it's close to our hearts as well. Yes. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I actually want to add to to that. I mean, uh, I think of in terms of the structures. Um, you look at um, at the top um, from CSA's point of view. Um, how many um, are fe- how many people in position um, are females? Um, obviously, representing the women's game. I feel that there's also a gap in that in in, in within CSA to to also promote that because we could sit here and for example dan and i are talking about the game we because we don't always see what women go through you might not represent the concerns and the issues that have to be rectified within their game so i feel that with within those circles as well we have to have people that represent women's rights and and then so that can we can solve these issues because it just feels that it's men talking about women's um, yeah. um, issues and and, and uh, trying to so it's not always going to be in the forefront of things. So it, within that, I'll say there's also an opportunity for Cricket South Africa as well, as we've seen there's been plenty of movement to have people close to Graham Smith um, to 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 guard him within that. But um, I just, it just feels that, um, uh, like I said earlier, there's plenty of opportunities. I, for one, see the women's game, transformation, and for people with disabilities as one thing. We have to put it together as mm. if we can rectify all those things and we see them as, all, as important as we see um, transformation, for example, for players of colour. And then I think we will be in the right direction. So for me, those are definitely all in the in the same box, and um, it, it definitely has to come again from the top, from the minister of sport, not just Graham Smith, from the minister of sport to also lead us in that direction. Well, so now, are, are you not encouraged by Kugandri Governor being appointed the new CEO of Cricket South Africa? Is is that a step in the right direction? Definitely, I think you know having a woman in that in that crucial position in Cricket South Africa um, 
I think they really put their faith in her and I hope she, you know, she steps up and, and does a great job. Um, but I've spoken to her a couple of times and she really sounds like, you know, she's got everything together and she knows what she's doing and she seems like a woman on a mission. Mm. Um, so hopefully, you know, I, I think it's so difficult for the, for the acting, you know, people coming or going into acting roles, right. you know, they kind of put into this position and they kind of just have all, I, I just imagine all this paperwork and all this mess on their desk that they have to, you know, fix now and everybody wants them to fix it now, but they haven't really been in that position for a very long time. But I think if anyone, you know, it's going to sound very um, discriminative, if I can say it like that, but a woman in a a top position job, I think she's going to do a great job. Um, And like, you know, like you said as well, for women to be in that position, um, she's definitely going to have women's sport on her brain as well and yes. the women's side. So hopefully she starts a movement of our own and, you know, just kind of starts the conversations of where we are, where we at with the women, you know, what are we doing for them as well? So I think it's going to be a really good thing. And I think, well, she has a job cut up for her. I don't think it's going to be an easy task, but um, she seems like she's pretty, pretty good with it. So hopefully, yeah. So we've spoken a lot of political stuff and, and obviously you are not a, a politician, as you said, but one hell of a cricketer. And, and it's a shame we didn't, we didn't quite get to as much on-field stuff. A winner of, of Cricket of the Year at CSA. Um, you, you also hold the record for the most wickets in a calendar year, which was 37, um, four years after your debut in 2016. But let's just touch on before we end our conversation about life after cricket. You're completing a degree in communications, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Is that because you want to be a, a commentator by some small chance a journalist even? <laughs> oh, I'm not very great at writing. I'm, I think more <laughs> speaking. So, no, definitely commentating and presenting. I think the whole package is called a broadcast or something like that. I'm not too right. sure about the title. But um, that's definitely the direction I want to go in. And I think especially in Cricket South Africa, there's, there's definitely a market for that. And there's an opportunity for an ex you know, women's player to become a very, a very big broadcaster in Cricket South Africa. I mean, we do have Natalie and Kaz that's been amazing um, with doing G-Sport and the women's side of the commentating and everything. But I do think someone that's been playing cricket for a long time, Mm. you know, having the knowledge of, of playing cricket and then also, you know, commentating and stuff like that. I do think there's a market for that as well. So hopefully one day when I retire in about 20 20 or 30 years, um, that can become a reality. I was going to say, there's your teammate, uh, by the way, who is a co- SABC commentator, Mignon Dupree. So you don't have to necessarily leave it um, um, until when you've retired to, 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 to yeah. think about that. I think there's... Um, yeah, one's a testament to that himself. Yeah. SABC is definitely... I'm sorry that I'm saying the word SABC here, Dan. <laughs> no, no, by all means. But, but if, they re- if they retweet us, Nonsa, you can plug yeah. them once. But I think uh, they've definitely showed that um, they are about promoting um, women and um, allowing them or giving them the platform to, to be commentators, as you said, Natalie and Kaz are being people that I've learned a lot from. And um, yeah, it's, um, it's been awesome to have one of your teammates as well, Mignon, uh, being part of the team there as well. So if you are thinking about that, I think there's something you should, you should go for. Um, it's definitely yeah. going to be, you're learning, you're learning now and you, you, you obviously keep it for a bit later on. I think yeah. it'll be useful. No, that's a, uh, that sounds like a conversation that you guys need to have separately. <laughs> <laughs> 
We've run out of time. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. We were so excited to see you twirling your wrists here in the UK, but no doubt you'll, you'll be back in action soon. Stay safe and we'll chat soon. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers, guys. So that's our show. Thanks once again to the fantastic Sunay Luce, who whoa, really shed some light on, on what it's like to be inside the camp. Um, we could have, we probably should have spoken more about her, her exploits on the field, but, but as we kind of alluded to, as soon as you start scratching at the veneer of the game, there, there really is an ugly side to it. And I, I commend her for her willingness to speak on it while still being in, inside the camp. Um, maybe we, we should just have a final word on, on, on what, what a fantastic player she is. I mean, a, a, a leg spinning all rounder. I mean, that, that, that she's worth the weight in gold, isn't she? I mean, as a captain, wouldn't you just love to have a leg spinning all rounder in every team? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, first of all, the roles she plays um, in terms of keeping that top order and giving stability in setting up, uh, setting games up. Um, she, she, she does a fantastic job up there. And um, again, I think we've seen now in the, in, in the women's game the importance of having um, spinners in your side and the fact that she's a two-in-one uh, cricketer. Um, I think plays a, a massive role in terms of the balance of the side and uh, the options that the, the captain has um, in the side. So um, it's it's been really good to see her um, to see her grow. I think she definitely, as she mentioned, she, she can do with a little bit more support with the ball, and I think that's something that needs to be really looked into and, and supported because clearly she's again. Um, achieving so much more with the little support that she's had, and um, yeah, it's um, I'm, I'm really, I'm really, I'm really, uh, I'm a huge fan of of the women's game. Um, I've definitely been converted by the past two World Cups, mm. and um, and I'm, I'm hoping and um, that they, they can continue to grow. Well, um, at the risk of getting slated by by all and sundry, we are a podcast that is doing a lot with not a lot of support either. So if you want to support us, go follow us. <laughs> at yeah. short <laughs> underscore five underscore legs at twitter uh Nons is there i'm there give us some love we love engaging um with all comments just just keep them clean please if you will we are <laughs> we are a sensitive bunch thanks a lot to raider media and derek and the team they just keep going from strength to strength man what a, what a product they're putting on i see there i mean soon they're going to be hosting a global sports quiz so if you want to get on the train best do it now uh Nons, any parting words for the week? Um, have you got any advice for me? I bowled, my, I bowled my first spell in about four years on Saturday and my back is still hurting. Any, any, any tips for me? The, the good old uh, stretch, I think, is a, is a place that you want to start from. Making sure that um, once you get past 30, then you know that um, you need to look after need to look after the body a lot more. So before and after, and um, uh, yeah, uh, what's tough is that you got those those in swingers. I'm not sure how much you're falling away to get those in swingers happening. So. Uh, make sure that um, you know continue with those yoga sessions. I think they will be very helpful in terms of keeping you a bit um, longer on the field and uh, recover a little bit quicker as well. Well, I'll, I'll give you the update next time we chat. Till then, guys. Thanks a lot. Yes.